welcome to Podship Earth. This is your host, Jared Blumenfeld. So this week, our intrepid adventurer and reporter extraordinaire, Sarah Amenzada, goes to Nevada City to see the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. Sarah, you you kind of, uh, you came to visit in Sacramento on your way up and it was a blizzard. Yes, we were getting reports from the past that the weather was quite intense. And um, I've only driven in snow maybe once in my whole life, so... I basically felt like the abominable snowman was fighting my car the whole way up. And um, it was well worth it when I got there. Okay, so what what is the Wild and Scenic Film Festival? It's It sounds like a bunch of hippies <laughs> drinking up in Nevada City. You're not wrong. Um, the Wild and Scenic Film Festival is a opportunity for filmmakers and activists from around the world to come together to tell the stories that they care most about, um, about protecting the environment. And this was your first podcast solo, right? You, you had all the equipment, you went up, you didn't know who you were going to exactly interview. What was it like? Um, well, it was exciting. Um, I did lose my phone with all the recordings on it for a period of about 12 hours. But luckily, thanks to the, um, the kind-hearted people in Nevada City, I was able to get my, my phone back with all these interviews. So crisis averted. So Nevada City is like the heart of the like 1850s gold rush, right? The 49ers, that, that's where everything happened. It, it's amazing when you go there because it looks like this old gold town. That's right. It's it's right in the Sierra foothills. And it it does look like and feel like in some ways that you're going back in time. And and Melinda, um, the executive director of the South Yuba River Citizens League, uh, tells us a little bit about Nevada City and the history and the ways in which um, the Yuba River in particular has really shaped that town. Cool. So here's Sarah talking with Melinda Booth, who's responsible for bringing this huge festival together every year. So this film festival is now in its 18th year, and it's an environmental and adventure film-based festival here in Nevada City in Grass Valley, California. So we're in the foothills of the Sierra Nevada mountains, about halfway between Sacramento and Lake Tahoe. And we had some beautiful snow last night blanketing our town, but it's sunny and melting, and we're, we're ready for the 8,000 people that are going to come to our small foothills town for this annual event. So South Yuba River Citizens League, we affectionately refer to ourselves by our acronym CIRCLE, was founded back in 1983. And a bunch of concerned citizens came together when dams were proposed on the South Yuba River. And they decided that's not what they wanted for the river in their community. And they banded together and fought those dams over 16 years. It was a 16 year long fight, but they were ultimately successful in protecting the river by achieving California state designation for wild and scenic status for 39 miles of the South Yuba, which permanently protects it. This community really is all about the Yuba River. It's an economic driver for us. It's a place of renewal. It's a place of recreation. It's um, a habitat refuge. It's definitely one of the most scenic rivers in California. You have these beautiful, smooth granite boulders. You have these emerald waters. You have deep pools. It's relatively warm in the summer, and it's a magical place. There's more folks who enjoy the Yuba River naked than clothed. <laughs> But tell us a little bit about the film festival. I see that the tagline is where activism gets inspired. So back in 1999, when Circle did achieve that wild and scenic status for the river, they were at a crossroads and decided 
um, you know, they achieved what they set out to do. And so then the question was, okay, well, is this organization done? Did we reach our goal or is there more to do? And they quickly realized that, gosh, there's so much more to do. Circle's mission is to unite the community to protect and restore the Yuba River. And there's lots of work to be done year round. So we're focusing on that mission throughout the entire watershed. So from the headwaters up at Sugar Bowl Ski Resort, if people know the area, that's near the headwaters, all the way down to the confluence with the Feather River in Marysville. The founders of the film festival were very, very forward thinking and realized if they could create something that could create a sustainable funding source to help the organization, that that would be a real help to achieving our mission. And so Wild and Scenic Film Festival was created. It was, of course, named after the win of Wild and Scenic status. And it started as, um, you know, two nights in one venue back in 2003. And it's grown here in 2020 to take place in two towns. We have venues in Grass Valley and Nevada City. It's five days. We have 10 film venues. We have activist workshops. We have celebrations. We have a virtual reality lounge. We have an environmental art exhibition. There's really a whole lot going on. Does the film festival travel? And are there ways for people that live elsewhere to enjoy the festival and enjoy these films? Yes. So we kick it off every year in January here in the foothills in Nevada City, Grass Valley in January. But then we hit the road and we take these films on tour. So you might see a wild and scenic event near you. We have about 250 events annually, reaching more than 65,000 people with these inspiring stories. And you can search for an event in your area. And if there's not one, you can be a host. So what we do, which I think is really incredible, is we're actually partnering with environmental organizations, really any kind of organization who want to host a festival in their area so that they can raise awareness for issues in their community and raise funds for the work that they're doing. So it's a really cool partnership, a way to get these films seen, inspire more people, and really um, increase the groundswell for the environmental movement as a whole. I love that. Uh, Can you give us an example or tell us a story about maybe the most inventive or unusual way that people have brought the Wild and Scenic Film Festival to their community? I love it when people do outdoor screenings. It's really great. So we have some folks in Florida with their shoes off, toes in the sand while we watch these films at night outside. So one of the cool things about living in Sacramento, obviously, is the Sacramento River. And I've always had this dream of going from Reading down to the sea. And one of the cool movies that you got to see that I'm super jealous about is called The Sacramento at Current Speed. And these guys got in their dory, which is a teeny little boat, and floated down. And you got to catch up with them. Tell us about Tom and Mitch. Tom and Mitch are great. To me, they really exemplify the film festival, which is in many cases, transforming what we might consider to be ordinary people that didn't, you know, set their careers to be filmmakers or even necessarily activists who fell in love with a place and wanted to tell that story to others. And that's exactly what happened with Mitch and Tom. They would go out occasionally with each other, with their wives on the river and came to be um, really compelled by the river and wanting to protect it. And so they made this film, um, which ended up winning the 2020 People's Choice Award, a really beautiful film and Go story. Go Tom and Mitch. <laughs> really beautiful film and story. And um, I thought it was special too that, of course, the Sacramento River flows through Sacramento. Um, we've paddled on it and um, goes through the very place where a lot of the decisions about water in the entire state are made. So just a lot of nice different connections with this one. So Sarah, first up, you talk with Mitch Dion and then with Tom Bartles, who made The Sacramento at current speed 
which won the People's Choice Award at the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. Mitch starts by explaining how the idea for the film was launched. I was just looking for a place to row my boat down a river. Um, I love rivers. I really like my little dory boat. And I live in Truckee. And kind of stumbled on the Sacramento as a place to do some uh, overnight trips without having to drive halfway across the country to Utah or Colorado or Idaho. So um, several years ago, my wife and I did an overnight trip on a section of the upper Sacramento where we threw our bikes into the boat, camped overnight, and then biked the shuttle back up to the car. And we had so much fun and we were so enamored with what we found down there that I started doing longer trips. And um, Tom and I done lots of adventures together, but we've never took advantage of our professional lives. He's a, a videographer and has made lots of films. So I, I started telling him our friends about the project down here on the Sacramento. And Tom's ears perked up and he said, oh, it sounds very visual, maybe we should make a movie of it. And uh, so just uh, hopped in my boat and uh, loaded it up with camera gear and some food and crackers and smoked oysters and hunks of cheese and took off below Reading and uh, started on a two week journey down the Sacramento. Um, some of which I'd done before and below Calusa all the way down into the Delta was, was unknown. You know, I know that people navigate this piece of river all the time, but whether we could actually row it and make it out there, we really had no idea. And all we'd heard that the winds were extreme down there and that uh, it might be a really difficult journey and good luck. What is it that you wanted to share with people about the Sacramento River? The big thing is this water belongs to all of us, and people may not realize that. It's public domain. It's the water is supposed to be managed to use for the use that's most beneficial to the most number of Californians. And, you know, we know that's a simple concept, and after that, everything gets really complicated. There's a lot of give and take and tug of war. But we need to be awake, watch what's happening, pay attention to what's going on out there, because it belongs to all of us. And secondly, it's a finite resource, and especially in the coming years with climate change, there's less and less, and we've over-allocated this resource. So we have to be good stewards. We have to be responsible. We're living in a system. Can you tell us a little bit more of what your job is, your, your nine-to-five job, and how that colored uh, your interest in this river and in this project? I work for the Professional Ski and Snowboard Instructors Association, so basically... Um, Saving the world one ski and snowboard lesson at a time was where I come from. But prior to that, um, you know, really involved in the river community. I was a Grand Canyon boatman, an Idaho boatman, loved being on the river. Um, you know, my boss, my mentor was a, a legendary guy, Martin Litton, who um, ran the Dory Company that I worked for. And um, he basically is given a lot of credit for saving Grand Canyon. And now it's my turn. And one of the themes of the festival is helping to create activism or the conditions for activism. How do you hope people will take action when they see your film? And here's Tom Bartles, the cinematographer of Sacramento at current speed. I think for me that trip was emblematic of so many um, struggles over natural resources. In this trip, we found a lot of people trying to work together that heretofore weren't, and like fishery biologists and farmers trying to find new creative solutions. It shows that we can and, in fact, will be forced to make smarter decisions once all the alternatives have been exhausted. So I think 
uh, that was an inspiring part of this trip. And after going through all the interviews and all the edits to find that there's a really a hopeful message in the film, all these things connected that are hopefully inspiring for the public to get involved. We saw more ospreys than people, and they had more fish. They're way better fishermen. And uh, so much bird life that I was overwhelmed. 36 species in two days. And you both have referenced the dory. Tell us about that boat and what that is. Once you see one, you'll never forget it on the river. It's this most beautiful um, boat based on the sort of New England fishing dory model. Um, usually people take great pride in them and paint them up nice and fancy. And they're made to travel down the river like a, a living creature, like an otter. And um, when you spend some time, you know, learning how to use those oars and... Um, and it's sort of an interaction with the river that becomes uh, second nature and super fun. So that's the whole reason for the trip. I just wanted to get my boat on the river. <laughs> and how is your dory painted or decorated? My dory is uh, red and white stripes. It's named the Buena Ventura. Buena Ventura, which for Sacramento history buffs, they'll recognize it, was one of the original names of the Sacramento River. What is special about the Sacramento River for someone who's, who's never been on it? It's hidden in plain sight, going right through a vastly populated area, and it's underused in, in the sense of uh, through, through travel, where there's, there's day boaters that go in their own towns, but we found this amazing, consistent gap between the people in certain towns not realizing they could just as well paddle six, ten towns down and keep going all the way to the Golden Gate Bridge. There's surprising number of locals in each of these towns that didn't realize it's an open corridor. You can just keep going. We all tend to stay in our own little uh, small silos of understanding, and it was great to just do the whole trip. So Sarah, when I think about trips down rivers, one of my favorite ever was with the Wallapai Nation um, down the Colorado um, I don't know, just something about the Colorado through the Grand Canyon is just incredible. And one of the films that you saw and caught up with the folks is called The Unfinished Fight of Seldom Seen Slight. Tell us about it, other than it being a tongue twister. <laughs> well, I learned about the film through John Weishite, who um, I knew from the Waterkeeper movement. John Weishite is the Colorado Riverkeeper. And I knew that he had done a film, which I found somewhat unusual because I know that as a waterkeeper, he's deeply immersed in fighting dams and advocating on permits and things of that nature. And so I wanted to understand what compelled he and his wife and another friend to make this film together. And what I found is that um, they wanted to honor a truly remarkable activist in their community who's in his early 90s um, and in some ways try to understand the environmental movement and fight that has led Seldom Slight and others like him um, to this place, what we can learn from those people and how we can move forward. And Seldom is is like at 90, he was there with Edward Abbey and like the Monkey Wrench Gang and this guy's like the real deal. I can't wait to hear the interview. So next, Sarah, you meet up with three of the filmmakers behind the unfinished fight of seldom seen slight. Chris Simon, John Weisheit, and Suzette Weisheit. And you start by talking to Chris about her passion for the film. Ken Slight was the first person I met in Moab. And he, I found out very soon afterwards that he was one of the original Monkey Wrench gang. The Monkey Wrench Gang is a book by Ed Abbey, and it's about four wilderness defenders 
who will stop at nothing to help save the land of the Southwest. That includes sabotage, which is also called monkey wrenching. Monkey wrenching can be anything like pulling up survey stakes, maybe, or putting sugar in gas tanks. They would, you know, stop at nothing. They would do whatever it takes to stop whatever it is, like, for instance, uh, the building of Glen Canyon Dam, although they certainly didn't stop that, but they would do whatever it takes after it, once political action has failed. I mean, you know, Ken always says, try the legal ways first, but then if you have to, you know, take what action, stand in front of that tractor, do whatever is necessary. Personally, I think that we are facing incredible, important, and pivotal time in environmental history. This is climate change. We need to do whatever we need to do. It doesn't seem like right now political action is working that much, but I am not advocating people going out and blowing out things or, or anything like that. I would prefer to see it done legally and through consensus, but if that doesn't happen, we need to get on the streets. We need to stand in front of the tractors. We need to get the attention that actions like that bring. And tell us about the place and the, the river and the watershed your film focuses on. It focuses on the Colorado River. And Ken Slight, he was a river runner back in the 50s and took his groups through Glen Canyon. It felt like home to him. I want to see Glen Canyon Dam down. I've wanted that since I was a little girl when I saw Lake Powell filling for the first time when I was 12 or 14 and absolutely despised it. So when I came to Moab and met Ken, who loved that river, loves the river still, and remembers what has been lost. What is this film about? It's a portrait of Ken Slight. What he wants most in life is to have the river restored, the river, the Colorado River run free, Glen Canyon restored, and that same thing, if the river was unfree and Glen Canyon Dam was down, it would also restore the ecology of the Grand Canyon. So it's a win-win-win to get that thing down. I think it's very unusual to find someone who really dedicates his entire life to that one issue. And he's 90 years old now. His heart is still there. Mm. But I think maybe it's going to be the next generation that has to manifest his desires. Another of the filmmakers of the unfinished fight of seldom seen slight is John Weisheit, who's also a river keeper. Rivers have actually been a political motivator over time, starting with John Muir and his fight to save the Hetch Hetchy. Um, we can think about David Brower and his fight to save the Green River and Dinosaur National Monument, and that which later became part of the fight to save two dams from being built in Grand Canyon National Park. And we had authors like Bernard DeVoto and Wallace Stegner and all these people that were using the tool of a river, protecting a river and a landscape. So a lot of the modern environmental movement comes from these, these gentlemen and these ladies before. But while all this high-profile activism was happening, here's Ken Slight. He's, he's a river guide. He's the guy on the river, in the river, telling people what's going on doing it from the very bottom up and a guy who's totally motivated by passion for a river and the need to protect it. This is um, a story about such a person. It, it's kind of like this is about a guy 
who inspired um, a lot of the activism that later came from David Broward. In fact, David Broward and Ken Slight were excellent friends. I'm the next generation, and who do I look to? I look to Ken Slight and David Brower, and they both said, John, you're a river guide. You have excellent standing in court. You should use that and help rivers, and that's what I've done. I stand on their shoulders, and I feel very privileged to be there, and I'm going to, to continue this fight, and I'm looking for younger people to stand on my shoulders. And what would it take to get the Glen Canyon Dam removed? Well, <laughs> because of climate change, we're going to understand very quickly that we never needed that dam in the first place. Glen Canyon Dam was, has been controversial since 1914. And a lot of people said before it was even built that we're building too much infrastructure. It evaporates more water than it actually saves. Mm. It increases salinity. It's damaging the ecosystem of the Grand Canyon. Is it really necessary to have so many dams redundant dams that it's worth the price of losing the ecosystems of our canyons, especially our national parks. We really don't need it for water storage, but we do need it to generate hydroelectricity revenues to pay for all the infrastructure, and that's why it's there. If the reservoirs are always empty, as they're now becoming because of the demands and because of the reductions caused by climate change, you're not even going to be making hydropower. Mm. It's going to become unreliable. So why, why do we need this thing? It is not profitable anymore. And taking a step back, just tell us about your river and also tell us what it would mean for your river if Glen Canyon Dam was removed. I want to make it clear that every river in the world is important and the source of every river is the clouds. And we share this. It, there's no such thing as my favorite river or this is the prettiest river. There, there's, that's just not in my vocabulary. But what the, what the Colorado River means to me is it's where all this um, dam building started from. It started in 1928 with the passage of the Boulder Canyon Project Act, which completely controlled and shut off the Colorado River to the ocean. It took its dignity away. And this construction plan went everywhere. It went to Asia, it went to Europe. I mean, it's the model mm. of the world. And if it fails here, it means it's going to fail everywhere. So the model is not true. The model is incorrect. And if we can, and we cannot fix other rivers until we fix the Colorado River where it started. So working on the Colorado River is how we begin the change of changing river management throughout the world. So now we're going to talk to Suzette, who is one of the filmmakers. I love being on the river. This gives me an excuse <laughs> to go out there and do it and to film it. And you'll see, if you get to see this film, you will see there's some amazing country that we traveled through while we were filming this, going around an incredible mountain called Navajo Mountain, which is sacred to the Navajo people and going to Rainbow Bridge, which is an icon. It's um, a national monument. And experiencing being in this place that Ken held so dear and that I hold so dear, but being in this place and putting that into a format that somebody who will never get there gets to see. 
I was literally laying on my back with the video camera in my hands, shooting Rainbow Bridge as one would see it from laying on their back. It's a huge, beautiful bridge. I was filming it and I took this one shot and I was just kind of lingering and I was zooming out and a raven flew across the scene and there was a, f a full moon and it was just breathtaking. And I lay there thinking, oh my God, I got to see that. Oh no, hold on, I got to film that. <laughs> and that's what people can get a taste of um, when they see your film. I love the poster uh, for the Wild and Scenic Film Festival. It kind of reminds me of Audubon, you know, those incredible, or the Darwin and the Beagle, those illustrations of, of plants and life around us that aren't photographs. We're so used to photographs, but um, you met with the man who's responsible for that. Tell us about him. Yeah, Obi Kaufman is an amazing artist and naturalist who is based here in the Bay Area. He did the California Field Atlas. He just released a beautiful book um, about California water. And um, in much the same reasons that I was drawn to the film festival, I was drawn to his different take on the environment and environmental issues. And he just has a really unique perspective. You now transition and talk to a 13-year-old girl, Tova, who's been on the jury of this film festival and others like it since she was six. How did you find Tova? <laughs> I'm friends with her parents, uh, Steve Rothert and Elizabeth Soderstrom, who are both um, amazing river activists in their own right. And so she was my little hostess. I stayed with their family during the film festival and came to find out that Tova knew much more about the films and arguably about environmental issues than I did. I think I've been watching the kid films all my life and, and as I got older, like the adult films too. And um, yeah, I started being on the kids' jury when I was like six. What has it been like growing up near the Yuba River and growing up in Nevada City? It's great. It's like always near nature. And I mean, I, yeah, the Yuba River always go to the summer and like spend all my summers there. And you go on backpacking trips and river trips. And it's like, I don't know, I've always felt like really I don't know, connected to nature. Just like, it's just, you're always in it. So you've been doing this since you're six years old, and how old are you now? Um, I'm 13. Okay. So you've probably seen a lot of movies over the past seven years, probably more than most adults. I really like the ones that, like, are kind of adventures. So when they have a point, but you kind of see their, their adventure through it, you can connect to it more than the ones that are, like, just trying to get to the point. So I really like those because they, yeah, you can connect like you just are more like enthralled in the story because you're seeing their adventure and what they're going through and it is more inspiring and makes you want to take more action because you see instead of just faced with the problem you see what they did to be helpful and what are the environmental issues that um, you care most about climate change global warming is just for me the most important one and like all all the things that it affects um you know fires and deforestation and all of the things that are happening. The film festival is called Wild and Scenic. Would you consider yourself more wild or more scenic? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, 
Or both. Both. Yeah, definitely both. a mixture. Mixture. I, yeah. Yeah. And I'm interested too in like how it feels to live here and then have people and filmmakers come from all over the world to your city to tell their stories every year. It's really interesting. It gives you like a kind of like a window like into what is happening all throughout the world. There's always points where you're like, oh my God, the world is dying. It's all the end. I think the film festival like really puts like hope into what you can do. So that's like one of the things. Cause like a lot of times you just are like, this is what is happening and there's not, they don't give you like what you can do about it. I just try to think about like all the people that are doing things and that yeah. helps me think, keep positive. That was amazing, Tova. Like it, it is incredible this next generation, like people always think of Greta Thunberg like as the sole youth activist, but there's so many young people that I talk to are just like kicking ass and taking no hostages and uh, really amazing just commitment to move things forward. And I really appreciate you going up to Nevada City. I want to go to the film festival. Where is it next year? So the the main flagship event is in Nevada City. Okay. And then any organization anywhere can host a little film festival in their community. And they can do it in a way to not only raise awareness, but also raise money. There's over 100 um, wild and scenic film festivals happening across the country all year. So, okay, what are the three podcasts? We did Rock Glaciers together, then we did Sea Level Rise, and now we did Wild and Scenic Movie Festival. What's the thread, Sarah? The thread is that the world is changing rapidly and we need to find a way as human beings to ground ourselves and stay positive. And the film festival is, an, I think, a good example of the way to do that. Um, these films brought everyone together and it was great to see the way that everyone's family showed up and were really proud of people's contributions. And it was great to see that people of all ages care about the environment and are staying committed in their own ways and in their own communities. Just being in Nevada City, it's such a beautiful place, which is um, not untouched. There's a lot of impacts from from mining, but just a beautiful, rugged place. And I know that a lot of the filmmakers and activists felt the same way. There's something about these places that is motivating them and keeping them going, even when it feels really difficult, even when they're facing big corporations and really difficult political circumstances. There's a fire that unites everybody, but everybody has that within them. A huge thank you to Sarah Amanzada for her vision and commitment to making this episode and for bringing the Wild and Scenic Film Festival to life in podcast form. Thank you to Melinda Booth, Mitch Dion, Tom Bartles, Chris Simon, John Weisheit, Suzette Weisheit, and Tovar Rothert for your dynamism and creativity in reminding us why our love of nature is the best motivator for action. I can't wait for next year's film festival in Nevada City. Thank you so much for being part of the Podship Earth journey from the entire Podship Earth crew, sound engineer Rob Spate, guest host, correspondent, and producer, Sarah Armanzada, executive producer, David Kahn, and from me, Jared Blumenfeld. Have a great week, which I hope includes a lot of time outdoors. <laughs>